So, in today's class, I want to start with what seems to be a very obvious question, but as we uncover it and unpack it, it may be a more complicated question. Is Judaism a religion or a tradition? Well, if you look at Vatanya, you look at Kabbalah, you're going to realize right away that it's neither. The creator of the world gave us his creations. Hashem gave us a way to connect to him, to unite with truth, to rise above the material world and be freed from the limitations of daily life. This path that God gave to us contains 613 channels. These channels are called mitzvot. And we, in this world, try to fulfill as many of them as possible. Now, in order to connect to these channels properly, and to understand what each one accomplishes, we learn about the Torah's inner dimension by studying the secrets of the Torah. On this level of study, the inner dimension of creation is revealed, the inner dimension of creation is identified, and the inner dimension of creation is discussed. So now here... In today's class, we're going to take it a step further. We're not only going to explore how a person can connect with Hashem through mitzvot, but even a person is able to connect with Hashem through the mundane activities of daily life. Through the simple things that you do every single day, you are able to create a connection with God. Now, generally speaking, our sense of good and bad is going to be based on our world perspective. That world perspective is based or influenced by our education. The values that we learn from our parents, the values that we learn in school, the culture that we live in, and of course, our nature. So... What ends up happening, if I could kind of paraphrase this, that our sense of good and bad is highly subjective. It's based in our nature, it's based in our nurture. And so often, we think that the, that the whole world revolves around us, which means if I don't understand it, then it must not exist. Or if it's not in my purview then obviously it's wrong. Now, it's likely, and it's actually quite probable, that if we were born in a different country, with a different mentality, we would actually have a different set of values. So now, how can we acquire an objective view 
where our view of good is truly good and what we think of bad is objectively bad. So in the last class, we spoke about this interesting tool for distinguishing between good and evil. We spoke about a way in which we could see the world objectively as the creator of the world sees it. Now, in this class, we're going to take that entire idea one step further. When God created the world, God infused everything with energy, with divine light. This light is what gives creation its force of life and its strength. The problem is that not all created beings are the same. Created beings differ in the quantity and the quality of light they contain. In some, the light is more revealed. Now in others, the intensity is is hidden to the point where it may even seem like the light is non-existent. Sometimes the concealment is so great that the person could think that the world has no godly light, that the world functions according to nature, and the world isn't being guided and did not need to be created since it it always existed. This state of concealment, where the godly light and life force is hidden and distinguished deep within each creation is called kalipa. Kalipa literally means the peel or the shell. And in the teachings of Kabbalah, kalipa is referred to, evil is referred to as klipa. So, for example, just as a fruit is comprised of the fruit itself, and the skin or the peel that covers it. So the world contains divine light and the material world that covers it or obscures it. Now the question is, how intense and strong is the concealment? And is it possible to reveal the light? Can you peel off the peel, the layer of klipa. There's no concealment in things that are holy. There's no concealment in mitzvot. Because these are the direct will of God. The physical objects that we use in order to perform a mitzvah get their vitality directly from God. So the energy that we use to perform a mitzvah also comes directly from God. This is why, if you remember, we explained a few weeks ago A direct connection is formed with God when we're doing a mitzvah. It's a direct connection. 
We don't always immediately feel this connection because we're desensitized to it. Because the world, after all, is full of concealment. But this is actually what's happening. The more we can tune into this, the more we become refined and spiritually sensitive. Now, on the other hand, objects used in doing a sin, let's say like non-kosher foods or, or prohibited acts, they receive their vitality, they receive their energy from Klippa. And since the inner vitality of Klippa, the inner vitality of this energy is totally and completely concealed, it can't be used to connect to God. Not only are transgressions unable to connect to, connect to God, they actually sever the connection. They actually hurt destroy, rupture the connection. But what about everything in between? What about something that isn't a mitzvah and isn't a sin? Let's say a person's going to work. They have to make a living. Or let's say they're studying in university. What we would call uh, general subjects or secular subjects. Or they're traveling, or they're sleeping, or they're relaxing. Ordinary life. Most of the time, it seems that we aren't directly involved in doing a mitzvah. Or directly involved in committing a sin. So what happens then? So in order to understand this, we have to not look at klippa as black and white, and we have to see the gray matter in the klippa. There is much more than the black and white extreme versions of klippa. It's not good or bad. We don't live in a world that's just good and bad. Our lives are fluid more than just good and bad. So in order to understand this, we have to look at a verse from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4, and I brought it here. It says the following. And I looked, and behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud, a burst of flame, and a glistening around it. And what we learned from there in Kabbalah is there are four types of klippa a stormy wind, a great cloud, a burst of flame and a glistening. These four kalipot subdivide into two main groups, the lower level of kalipot and the higher level of kalipot. The lower level of kalipot, which are referred to as a stormy wind and a great cloud and a burst of flame, they are called the three impure kalipot. They are responsible for infusing vitality into all forbidden things. So these three klipot are not changeable. It's evil, evil, evil. It's wrong. 
There's no way to refine it. There's no way to make it holy. There's no way to, to... They exist and there's no way to change it. They're pure evil. The remaining klippa, which Ezekiel calls a glistening, is called klippat noga. Klippat noga is responsible for infusing vitality into all permitted things. Meaning that anything that isn't forbidden or a mitzvah falls under the category of klipat noga. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the other one is klipa what? Shalosh klipot hatzmeot, which is the three impure klipot. Now, what's beautiful, we're going to find out soon, is within klipat noga, it can go either way. It can go to the negative or it can go to the positive. So the gray area is in the noga. That's right. And so that's what we're going to really spend time understanding. What is this klipat noga? Because we need to understand this because this is really what matters most to our lives. We spend most time dealing with this kind of matter, the matter of klipat noga. Now, when we use this neutral item, this klipat noga item, in an elevated way, what is an elevated way? Kabbalah is very specific about this. We use it lishma, which means just for the sake of heaven. We do the right thing. For example, we take... Let's say money. Money, somebody once said, is the root of all evil. No, it could be yeah, but money is not the root of all no. evil. No. Money it's is klipat noga. It could be the root of all good. Of course. We can take our hard earned money and we can say, God, I give this to you. I give this to tzedakah, not because I want to feel better, not because I want to see my name written in the wall, not because I want to. Because. You said, I am taking Klipat Noga and I'm going to elevate it for you, dear God, for no other reason. Nobody's going to ever know. I am slipping this envelope under this person's door. Nobody will ever know. At that point, at that moment, we've discovered the Klipat Noga's inner goodness and its potential and we've used it to serve God. So we have truly, truly elevated it. We've, we've extracted it from the klippa, and we've elevated it to Kedusha, to holiness. Yeah. 
No, but the, the money is a perfect example. Or let's say eating. Yeah, it's true. You can eat. You can eat healthy. And eat yeah, healthy. and you can take that strength to pray and to study like we're doing now. Or you can take that strength to do the opposite. To do anything bad. So, let's, let's just clarify this. If we use the natural or the neutral Klippat Noga only for our personal pleasure with no higher purpose in mind, then not only is the item not elevated, but we lower ourselves to Klippa. So just can, think, lead, can lead to the other clipper. Just think about this a second, okay? Because I want to make this very, very directed to our lives. You can sleep. Everyone has to sleep. You have no choice. But there's two different ways of sleeping according to Kabbalah. There's sleep for your personal pleasure and there's sleep for a higher purpose. Now think about it a second. What would be the difference? Sleep is sleep. I know, because if you sleep and every day you wake up at 10, 11 and you mess the whole morning, this is not for, this is for your pleasure. But, but if you sleep to, to, to recuperate and to feel better the next day, to go on with a, a beautiful life. So, so I'll ask you a practical question then. Yeah. What do you do? How do you do? What's the difference between the... No, no. So, which means, is there something you can do when you go to sleep that makes a difference between sleeping for pleasure and sleeping for God? You put an alarm. Well, there's a practical thing, right? So you're saying you're waking up early, so you only no, sleep in your mind. And you don't sleep in. You don't, you don't press the snooze button. That's it. That's one part of it. Or you can also, the previous Rebbe writes about the difference between going to sleep like a lion and going to sleep like a horse. A lion, you know what it does? It gives a roar, and then it falls, goes to sleep. That's how it goes to sleep. A horse, it stands up, and it's like moving its way this way, that way. It tries to find its and comfortable sleep, thing. Standing up. Yeah, it's very hard. It's, it's very, very hard to, for a horse to sleep. Yeah, yeah because it's hard for them to yeah. have their leg. To That's right. So how do you sleep like a lion or sleep like a horse? If you go to sleep watching TV or uh, whatever it is, and you just like, just fall asleep because you have, I don't know, issues or whatever it is, and you just fall asleep, that's going to sleep like a horse. You're kind of, you're not, you're not, it's not a comfortable sleep. What Kabbalah wants us to do is to actively go to sleep. We say the Shema, we give over our soul to God, we meditate a little bit, we do what's called the cheshbon ha-nefesh, which means a recounting of our day, to see what good did we do this, on this day. And we make a resolution for tomorrow that we're going to do the best we can because every single day of life is a beautiful day of life. And the fact that God gave us this day of life, another day that we can build up and we can make this world a better it's place. A rebirth, a little rebirth. Every, every single day is a new rebirth. Everything is possible. And then after the Shema, we say the Hamapil, and we go to sleep. And then in the morning, we wake up. And we don't press snooze. We wake up. Now it's time. We wake up. And we go to pray, and we, we get on with our day. 
you took something that could be so passive, passe, and we turned it into something that was active and powerful and godly. So, let's go back to the theoretical. Both the permitted object that was not used for the sake of heaven and our own soul that performed the action could be lowered to klippa if we go to sleep like a horse. Instead, if we go to sleep like a lion, in the Friedrich Rebbe's words, we become a vehicle of the godly connectivity and it disconnects us from klippa. It disconnects us from the other side and attaches us to holiness. And so within these neutral items is where the secret lies. It's within these neutral items where our life matters. That's where our free will is. In something that's extremely holy, it's always going to be holy. In something that's extremely evil, we know, don't touch it. But in the gray area, in that middle mat area, in the Klippak Noga, that is where life is. And we have a choice every single day to be active about elevating it to Kedusha, to be active about elevating it to holiness, or to be passive and not elevating it. That is our choice every single day. And sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. But the more conscious we are of the things around us, the more conscious we are of the things that we do, the better it is. And you're not going to win every single time and you're not going to win right away. But every single struggle that we're able to conquer is another one. It's another badge. And that's what we want. We want to be able to have one more struggle today that we win than we did yesterday. Our goal in life is not to be perfect. Our goal in life is to be better. And being better means that we actively took Klippat Noga and we pushed it to the side of holiness. But you know, I have this concept of better and perfect. Because perfect kind of limitates yourself. Perfect is like, it, it, it's a state of arrival. It's, it's done. There's nothing to do. But when you do better, it opens an affinity of doors. No, I mean, you know, you yeah. can be better in so many different aspects. And that's our job in this world. Yeah. Our job in this world is to be better. But w- better in what? And for you, is it more? <laughs> because you choose to be a rabbi, is it more? No, it gets harder. It gets harder over time. No, but I understand that for you it's even like a, a mission. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, you know, because you have to look out on, on others to, you know, be sure that the people around you, you know, they, so you take upon yourself. I was, I was having a discussion yesterday with someone and they were asking me about my beard. Yeah. And they were saying, why do you have to do that? You know, you could uh, trim it and you can make it nice. And when, every so often when you want to go do something, uh, you can go put on a baseball cap and you can go do whatever you want. So nobody sees you. The period, you walk around like a Jew. And I said, exactly. That's the point. That's what, That's I, what I want. Uh, it stops me from doing so many things. 
I'm not saying that I would or I wouldn't do that. But definitely now I don't. Because I feel like I'm representing. People see from a mile away, oh, there walks a Jew. Of course. And he should do something bad. They would go, ah, we knew. And in our crazy world that we live in, I think it's even more so people should say, there walks a Jew. Of course, at the same time, I have to know that I have, I'm representative of the people. I can't get upset at somebody on the street. When I'm driving, I can't cut somebody off because there goes a Jew. And so the more things we can do that keep us focused and conscious of taking the klipat noga and elevating it, the more opportunities we have to elevate the moment of the day, that's the entire point of all of this. That is exactly why we do what we do. We want to elevate the mundane, the simple moments of our day. Oh, come on. It's so complicated. Why do we have to be so conscious? Just relax every so often. Do you know what it looks like when we relax? We become complacent. We become depressed. We become saddened. We're not happy anymore. That's not what life is supposed to be. When you relax? I'm saying when we're like, eh, it's okay when we become passive. Ah, yeah. yeah. We have so to become. We, we, it's not that you, 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 you people, yeah, people, like, people uh, confuse being calm uh, and reserved and, and in control with being relaxed and laid back. That's not what it is. You can be very relaxed. I want to tell you, I'm enjoying this moment right now. I'm very relaxed. I'm not worried about what's going to happen in 10 minutes from now or afterwards. I know I have a very busy day of things to do today. I don't really care because right now we're sitting and studying. I'm totally focused. I'm totally here. We are all sitting here totally focused on this. Our minds are not wandering. If our minds try to wander, we focus them back to this moment, right? Because that's the, na- that's the nature thing. We train our minds to be focused back. That's really good. That's a great way to start the day. The whole idea of decompartmentalizing and multitasking, I don't think that's a very good way to, to live. And not only that, but the, the Kabbalah will not agree with that way of living. Whatever, wherever you are, that's where you should be right now. Wherever your thoughts are, that's where you are. So if, you want to, if you're sitting here and your thoughts are thinking about what you're going to be so doing in an hour from here. now, you weren't here really when you were here and you're not going to be in there. Fact, you're like pieces everywhere of yourself, but you're not entire. And you're not going to be there when you're there exactly. because your, your mind is constantly somewhere else when you're supposed to be somewhere else. It's crazy. The goal is to be present. Leave the moment. To be actively present in every single thing we do. Right now, Right now, for the next 30 minutes, I am here learning Hasidut, learning Kabbalah. I don't really care what's going on the rest of the day. I don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's going to come anyway. It'll be when it'll be. When I get there, I'll get there. Exactly. Right now I'm here, 100%. If I can't be here 100%, I'm going to call it out. My mind is wandering a little bit. Okay, mind, focus, focus. Today, I may be here 70%. 
And tomorrow I'll try it again and I'll be here 71%. And the next day I'll try again and I'll be here 72%. The more we're able to train our minds to focus and to be here in the present moment at this time, doing what we're doing right now, right here, right now, the more we do that, the more when we're there, we'll be able to be in the present moment. How do we uplift even the work that we do? Because we're going to use this moment to train ourselves to be 100% in this, so that later when we're doing our work, we're going to be able to be 100% in that. Because we're already going to have the skills to be able that we've trained ourselves to do that. Now, let's go back to values. Let's go back to what we were discussing before. Now that we understand the power of Klippat Noga, I think we can better understand the difference between objective and subjective values. Remember, we started off our class today by saying that we carry with us our nature and our nurture. There's nothing we can do about that. Whatever our lens through which we see the world is going to be a mix of our nature and our nurture. Of course. So how can we truly be objective? Whatever we do, whatever we think, whatever we process, we're going to be influenced by our nature and nurture, so we're subjective. But Kabbalah wants us to have objective values. How does that look? This is our great question for the day. Now, there's a way that we see the world and a way that God sees the world. There are things that appear to us very proper. They appear to us very beautiful. But from God's point of view, they get their vitality from Klippa and they have no good in them. We don't mean that they're completely lack good. But all the good they possess their godly spark is tremendously concealed. And we're going to explain this soon. That this is why they are called asur, they are called forbidden. The word asur doesn't only mean forbidden, it also means bound and tied up. Since there's no way to access and release the spark of good that it possesses. There's no way for us human beings to be able to find the good. We cannot take a pig and kill it and eat a piece of uh, bacon from the pig, make a blessing on it and uplift it. There's no way to uplift that spiritually at this point in creation. That is Asur. The pig is the quintessential non-kosher item because it contains one of the two elements of being kosher. In order for a kosher animal to be kosher, it has to have split hooves and chew its cud. The pig has split hooves. Yeah, I, yeah. But doesn't chew its cud. So the, yeah. what does the pig represent? The pig lies on its back in the mud and it put, takes its the hooves. Mud, the mud, you're nice. and, and it takes its hooves and, it, and it, uh, it, it, it shows the world, look at me, I'm kosher. Kosher from the outside, but not from the inside. On the outside, you may look kosher, but on the inside, you're not kosher. 
That's why the pig is the quintessential non-kosher item. Because we often get confused by things that look kosher on the outside but really aren't. And there's absolutely no way for us human beings to be able to release the spark of good the pig possess. There's no way. Ah, so why was the pig created? A different, totally different conversation. Now, Judaism, Torah, Kabbalah, they all provide us with the tools to identify which things receive their vitality from Kedusha, from holiness, and which receive their vitality from Klippa, from the other side. Based on that, we can know how to interact with various aspects and elements in the world. The Torah gives us an objective view of the world of life from God's perspective. It's the Torah that is able to give us the objective view. You want to know what the objective view of good values versus not values? There's only one way to know, and that is by looking through God's lens. And with that, we have a Torah. And that's the value of the Torah. Now, you can look at this reality in a negative light. Really? I can't relax anymore? Come on. You just took away my ability to relax? I want to relax. I want to binge watch Netflix. I can't do anything just for me, just for fun anymore? Is that what the Torah wants of me? To do mitzvot all day? Is that it? No, we, we also have the ability to see it positively. We can say God is everywhere. God is always with us. And life is completely infused with meaning. Life is completely infused with spiritual significance. And everything we do throughout the day offers us an amazing opportunity to connect with the ultimate reality with God. I have a secret to tell you. You weren't put in this world to live it up. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds difficult. But your soul came into this world for a unique purpose. And no soul that ever lived before it, no soul that will live after it, and no soul that's living now during your lifetime has your unique purpose. Your soul came here for a special reason. And it wasn't to live it up. If you want to go live it up, you can go back to the heavens. That's what we do in the heavens. We live it up. Here, we're detectives. Mm-hmm. There's a mission. We have a mission. It's hard sometimes for people to see it. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to find it. But... I don't want to deal with it. I'm not interested. Okay, fine. No problem. You can live in this world, not do your mission, you'll come back again. But I want to tell you, your soul doesn't necessarily want to come back again. It'll have to, if God wants it to. 
won't have a choice. But it really doesn't. Your soul, the godly spark inside of you, wants you to complete your purpose while you're here right now. With holy things, with mitzvot, the connection is direct. And for things that are associated with klipat noga, for permitted things, the connection depends on whether the action is being done for the sake of heaven. For some holy, for some higher purpose. And those things are connected with the three impure klipot. They connect us to God when we abstain from them. And that's our purpose in this world. We connect directly to God through mitzvot. We connect directly to God through abstaining from the three impure klipot. By doing nothing, just abstaining. Every single moment that we're not eating a pig, we're doing a mitzvah. Every moment that we're abstaining. Obviously, if you go by, I'm not saying you should do this, but if it happens to be that one day, if you're the kind of person, I don't have a desire to eat pig, it's not a desire, but some people do. Some people like the smell. If you go by the smell, you're like, I used to love this. This is amazing. Uh, I mean, I just think about the animal that lives, and I saw them in life. But some people, they're attracted to it. So they have even more. It's not passive. For me, it's passive. I know I'm never going to do it. But then again, I have to make sure. I buy things with labels on them. I have to make sure there's, 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 no, there's no, you know, even sometimes you have to make sure there's nothing that's uh, problematic. I need somebody eat pee. I'll give you an example. What? If somebody eat pee. A Jew eat pee. After that, what? Nothing. Yeah, no. If someone eats pig, then they have to, that was a moment where now they have to transform. That was, they gave in to the three evil clipouts. They have, they, they, they've done that. Now they have the ability to abstain. Which means the moment they stop eating the pig, they now are doing a mitzvah again. Okay, okay. I get it. Even a Jew. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I'll give you, sometimes the, the things have gelatin in them. You don't even realize. Yeah. Gelatin Candies, comes from pig. Candies. Yeah. They come from a pig. Yeah, yeah. So by abstaining from forbidden things, that's a mitzvah. But this middle island, think about it. The only way to take things which are klipat noga and to elevate them is by actively doing it. You have to actively do it for the sake of the heavens, for the sake of God, for the sake of its purpose. All the klipat noga, all of this middle matter can only be elevated if done properly. You can't passively elevate klipat noga. It must only and can only be done actively. So, let's give a practical example if we haven't been practical enough already. Kosher food, kosher food comes also from Klipat Noga. So when I eat for a holy purpose, when I eat for the sake of heaven, and I use the strength derived from the food in order to serve God, the food now moves into the realm of holiness. 
But if I eat for my own personal pleasure, if I don't have any thought of using it for a holy purpose, if I didn't make a blessing, if I didn't take that food and elevate it, then the food and I both go down to Klippa. And I'll give you even a step further. This is my own interpretation. I'm just taking it a step further. I think that you have no right to kill that animal. Or to uproot that vegetable from the ground if you're not uplifting it. Because the only reason why you have a right to uplift the vegetable is because the the stalk of wheat can die of old age. It can shrivel up and die. But by you taking that stalk of wheat and turning it into flour and making bread out of it and taking that bread and eating it and using it for Kedushah, for holiness, you uplifted that stalk of wheat to a higher level than it could ever have uplifted itself. So you now gave it a purpose that it didn't have before. The same thing with the animal. But if you don't do that, then what right do you have to kill that, that so, animal or the stalk of so, wheat? So it's very bad. The hunter is very bad. What right do you have? Who gave you the right? Hunter is terrible. That's God's creation. And, and you know what I go crazy is, is the fisher people. They fish the fish. They take it out. They take picture. They take out the thing and put it back. How do you call this? It's better than taking out the thing and, and, and not doing anything with it. That's a, that's a different... Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I get which one. But still... There's all cruel. different levels. It's cruelty, cruelty for nothing. Yeah, there's all... And but, ego. It's but there's so all bad. different levels. This kills me. When I see this, I'm like, just... And this idea of uplifting Klippat Noga, it applies to any of our mundane activities, any work, any daily chores, our relationships... Our parenting, whatever we do, the question has to be asked and it's the same question. It's a question we have, to, we have to train ourselves to ask. How can I infuse this activity with higher purpose? How can I infuse this with a higher purpose? How can I bring out the spark in this moment? How can I bring this to Kedusha to a higher level? Am I doing this act due to selfish, pleasure-seeking ego? Or am I doing out of service to others, humility, and a desire to draw closer to God? Now you asked before, what about the person who's eating pig? Let's go into this. Is it possible... To fix mistakes. When we miss the opportunity to elevate Klippat Noga, when we did things out of self serving ego desires, does the activity fall into Klippa forever or is it redeemable? No, it's redeemable. So obviously it's redeemable. The minute you regret what happened, and you firmly decide never to repeat it, both you and the behavior you did come out of Klippa and they go into holiness. You change your misdeeds into virtues. But if, let's say you're sincere at the time, you did this, and you do it again. You're human. Okay. And you do it again? Yeah. And you do it again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So as that's long part as you're of sincere when you go like 
if uh, no, I, I want to tell you yeah. a secret. Yeah. I don't know this is a fact, but I'm just deducing this. That if you're doing it again and then you do tshuva and you do it again and you do tshuva and you do it again and you do tshuva, it's probably part of your purpose in this world. Uh, yeah. To yeah. overcome that. Yeah, it it's probably. Yeah, yeah. If it's, if, because I can tell you, it, uh, it's not, uh, I'm not, I don't have a desire to keep on doing that again. Whatever that is. Yeah. I have a different desire to do something else again. But if it's something that is really difficult for you, it's probably part of your purpose. Oh, that makes sense. Right? That's why it's difficult for you and not for someone yeah. else. Yeah, that's why you can't uh, kick it. Yeah. And people, they smoke all the time too. Yeah, it's, 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 it's part of, there's different parts of your purpose. Parts of your purpose are active and parts of your purpose are things that you shouldn't do. Mm. Your purpose is, is a fluid purpose. It's not just uh, black and white. Some parts are going to be things that you have to do and some things are things that you have to stay away from. I think that people who are addicts, Hashem created them with that nature of being an addict. And that's part of their purpose is to overcome that. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. I can't relate to it. I'm not an addict. But I can see how difficult it is for them. And I feel for it. But it's not, I look at them and I'm like, this has got to be part of their purpose. Yeah. If it's so difficult yeah. and it's a constant struggle their whole life, then it's got to be part of their purpose. But what happens when you try to extract the godly spark that's locked into things that are forbidden, that are part of the three impure clipouts, things that cannot be elevated? For example, <clears throat> can you elevate the bacon? Can you take the bacon and recite a blessing and use the energy to serve God? And there, oh, boom, I, in 2019, figured out a way to elevate the bacon. It's impossible. And that's why this bacon, this three evil in Klippot, cannot be elevated. You're, we're unable to do it. We cannot extract and elevate the sparks. Why? Because the godly spark within an item whose vitality comes from the three impure klipot is inaccessible even if you practice with all the holy intentions in the world. It could even be that that spark within a forbidden item is greater than the spark within a permitted item. It doesn't matter even if it's a greater spark. It's asur. It's tied down so strongly that it cannot be released. In permitted things, the spark is mutar. It's unbound from restraints. Mutar means unbound from restraints. As a result, it can be elevated to holiness. Obviously with the proper intent and the proper usage. But here's the secret. 
we have souls that come from higher than nature. We are able to transcend nature. And there's a possibility that we can even mend things from the three impure klipot. How? What Kabbalah calls teshuvah me'ahava. From repentance motivated by great love of God. When we come to deeply and sincerely regret our misdeed as a result of sincere introspection, and a true understanding of the severity of our transgression, and a sincere desire to improve and change our transgressions, all that we did, even things that we did before that fall into the category of the three impure klipot, they become good. They become virtues. They become merits. This is a very, very high level that's difficult to achieve. In the vast majority of cases, the tshuva that we do is not such a lofty nature. It's regular to tshuva, which main accomplishment is disconnection from sinful deeds and a firm resolution to never repeat them again. Most people who do tshuva, that's what they do. Very few can attain this level. But regarding this level of teshuvah, the Talmud calls it a balei teshuvah. Repentance returnees. And the Talmud says that these balei teshuvah are on a higher level than the righteous, than the tzaddikim. Because the tzaddikim, the righteous, are not able to elevate the divine sparks from the three impure klipots because they never engaged with it. You know what he reminds me? <clears throat> he reminds me uh, the, the, when the angels and, and Moses. That's right. That's the same uh, pro- process again. That's right. Uh-huh. Absolutely. But the balei tshuva, on the other hand, the true balei tshuva, can even extract the spark from the three impure people, and that makes them greater than Sadiqim, greater than the righteous people. Now, how does a sin transform into a merit? Let's try to explain this as simply as possible. It's the distress that's caused by the sin that motivated the person to do teshuvah that brings this about. If he never did the sin, he would have never felt distant from God and would never have, he wouldn't have anything to regret or feel painful about. The very fact that he transgressed is what caused him to feel deeply broken, deeply sorrowful over what he did. This is the reason he now has a much stronger desire to come closer to God. But it's very important to clarify, this does not at all grant permission for people to, or justification to go and transgress in order to elevate impure sparks. There are people who have studied this and said, aha, you know me, I'm a very high and holy soul. 
my job. I'm going to go transgress so that I can elevate the impure sparks. And then afterwards, I'll uh, later on. The only reason the sparks can rise to holiness is because of the deep and sincere regret that a person feels. Obviously, a person who deliberately sins will not feel true remorse. And this is why our sages said, he who says, I will sin and then repent, cannot repent. Cannot do tshuva. Meaning you can't plan ahead. You can't say, God, today is sin day. Tomorrow I repent. You can't plan ahead. On the other hand, if the sin was already committed, then now, through deep, heartfelt tshuva, you can extract the spark out of the forbidden and turn the sin into a merit and turn the sin into a virtue. I'll put it in a little more modern terms for you. It's like leveraging. Leveraging our sins. Instead of allowing them to drag us down, instead of allowing them to make us feel sad and down about ourselves, we use them to arouse our deepest, our innermost spiritual strength to return to God with all our might, with the ability to transform the negative into something eternally positive. I heard a story from a friend of mine, a Chabad rabbi. And he said that a young woman once visited his Chabad center. In the evening after the conclusion of Ni'ilah, after the conclusion of the Yom Kippur service, and she turns to, she says, here, I'm here to spend Yom Kippur with you. I'm not religious. But I've never missed fasting on Yom Kippur, and it's very important to me. The rabbi told me, he said he didn't know what to say to her. She was traveling. She obviously miscalculated. The fast was over, and she missed Yom Kippur. But he had no choice. So he turns to her and says, Yom Kippur just ended. And she no longer needs to fast. She was shocked. Pained by her mistake. She experienced such utter remorse more than she'd ever felt any Yom Kippur when she'd fasted and regretted all of her deeds from the previous year. Motivated specifically from this deep sorrow, she committed herself to learn and mend her ways and come closer to God. And the rabbi said, when he was telling me the story, that missing one Yom Kippur was the impetus that caused her to do complete teshuvah, to make a complete change in her life. So, let's just conclude our thought for today. The awareness that God is constantly with us, wherever we go, should fill our lives with joy. We are not alone. God is with us, accompanying us, looking out for our every moment and loving us without limit. 
Hashem created a spiritual reality that follows certain spiritual rules for life, enabling us at every moment to draw closer to Him. When we learn the revealed dimension of Torah, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Halacha, we gain an understanding of what is forbidden and what is permitted. But we don't gain the understanding of why they're forbidden and why they're permitted. By learning the Torah's deeper dimension, Kabbalah, Chassidut, especially what we're learning now, the Tanya, we can begin to understand some of what happens in the world, quote-unquote, behind the scenes. Why some things are forbidden and other things are permitted, are, are permitted and what the consequences are, the impact, the mitzvah or the transgression. Exploring some of the differences between holiness, kedusha, and klipa help us gain an understanding of how God sees the world. And then we can begin to make God's perspective part of our life. The idea is to be able to look at the world objectively. There are some things that are part of the three evil clipout, the three impure clipout, and those things cannot be elevated. There are some things that are from Kedusha, and they exist always in a level of holiness. And majority of our life is part of this fourth element, and that is klipat noga. And we have a choice at every single moment to consciously elevate it, or passively not elevated. When we elevate it, we bring it closer to its source, to its purpose for creation, and when we don't, we bring it to the level of klipa, of unholy. And that's the story for today. All right. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.